Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to the IQEQ Real Estate Focus, uh, our podcast series where we hear from experts on current hot topics in the real estate industry. I'm Tom Miller, your host for today, and I'm pleased to welcome uh, Steph McMahon, Head of Research at BNP Paribas Real Estate. We're here to discuss uh, the future of the office space. For record, this was recorded on the 15th of June. Uh, 2020, uh, as I know, Steph, we'll be using some data, so please use that as a point of reference. Uh, Steph, welcome. Uh, firstly, um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you see the future of the office space? I would like to keep this to the medium and short term. So, for example, the hot desking was a big thing. Now it may be a thing of the past. We've seen a rise in co-working. To me, it seems intangible as we speak today. Uh, if you can start with setting the scene. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, Tom, and um, thank you very much for inviting me to um, to speak on your your series. It's, it's great to to be part of this. Um, so you may you may kind of wonder why you invited me because my first sentence is probably going to be that no one really knows. I mean, everything we see and read at the moment in in my view, is quite a lot of chat about what the future of offices is going to look like, and I and I get that because, you know, we need opinion, we need to have discussion. Um, it, in my view, it's massively dependent on, as you'd expect, vaccine effective treatment, etc. If that happens quite quickly, then I actually don't think a huge amount will change at all. But you have pulled out a couple of scenarios, so. Let's think about those in maybe a little bit more detail. On the um, on the the flex space, um, the kind of the co-working space, do I think that that's got a future? Very much so. Yes. I mean, occupiers, businesses require short-term space. They require different locations, and you know the big driver to that co-working space has been enabling much more flexibility on on an occupier's decision making real estate is really a relatively small part of their occupancy cost their massive cost over 70 percent are their people so so being able to flex the real estate to suit the needs of their people is i think more important than having you know the sort of longer term uh, commitment on the real estate so i don't think that is going to um, change because I actually think that uh, occupiers and businesses are going to be less wanting to commit to major change until the situation is clearer. Now, we're going to have to have differences in the way this is approached, um, but perhaps we can kind of pick up on that in a bit more detail as, as we go through our discussion. On, on the second one, you talked about hot desking. Again, yes, I do think it's, it's going to remain. Um, for me, this is very much about the cleaning regime and uh, perhaps air quality. The interesting thing about high density open plan, uh, which has been adopted by so many companies, um, my company included, is that it's almost the, the lowest common denominator in office space and doesn't really cater to individual needs, but it is the most efficient way to use the, the square footage that you have. So being able to kind of combine that with home working makes it a very efficient way of using office space. So getting the right um, cleaning regimes, etc., will be will be fundamental because I think longer term it's about how to make users 
of office spaces or indeed any real estate spaces feel safe and healthy whilst balancing that with the productivity whilst they're there. Question probably touches a little bit on the high density point you mentioned. Um, given we have uh, potentially some changes on how a uh, space looks, do you anticipate that asset owners uh, will need to uh, make a large capex expense in the near future? for example, for redesigning that? It's, um, it's a really good question, and it's one that our property management teams and our building consultancy teams are spending a lot of time working with clients on at the moment. And so maybe I can kind of paint you a picture of a, a couple of clients currently, um, and I think they're, they're quite indicative of the approach to, to how to modify current office space. So one is a high density occupier looking at their new space. They're definitely in two minds as to whether this means less space for them plus more home working or the same level of space plus home working. And you probably have seen these two scenarios being bandied around um, a lot. So whether you need uh, the same or even some people are saying more space uh, to have social distancing or whether you need less and you increase your home working. That that is that is very much a, a live discussion at the moment, and I don't I don't think that there is an answer to that because it goes back to the previous point of it depends very much on how treatable um, this this uh, this pandemic becomes and how quickly that happens. Now, interestingly, the second occupier they um, are from a very different sector and they occupy you know, low density space within single use offices. And they really, really therefore don't have to change very much at all. So what, from my perspective, becomes interesting is what are the commonalities that we can still see between these two quite extremes? So one of them is change of lift use. How, how do we manage um, lifts and stairwells to enable access in and out of the building? How do we manage the common spaces to allow access in and out of the building? Because those are those are fundamentally important to me. You know, central stairways instead of using lifts all the time, that will that's a trend I think that that would be interesting to watch. Um, using push button doors, so uh, whether so you don't actually have to touch any handles at all. It's a pretty simple um, and low cost uh, approach to actually getting around something that's, that is a significant cleaning issue with people moving around a building constantly and things like automated lighting again just anything that can reduce the amount of time or the amount that people have to touch uh, communal surfaces are pretty low cost and can be implemented pretty quickly and I think it's those sort of things that, that occupiers will be looking at in the in the short term. Um, longer term, I think more investment in digitizing workflows and perhaps one of the things that that I think will actually be a real long-lasting legacy from this is that what gets automated now will not go back. You know, this is the big tech acceleration and I don't, my personal view is that doesn't mean to say that we don't need communal or workspaces together. But if, if something gets automated now, it's not going to revert to how it was. So then if we if we think that social distancing goes away at some point, um, what what's going to stay? What's the longer term impact? So thinking again, back to those commonalities, what 
out of all the kind of um, hyperbole and, and chat around at the moment, what do we think is going to remain? Well, um, two things for me. One is smart buildings. I think there will be greater, for, for new buildings, there will be greater and greater demand for smart buildings and pay, perhaps more plug and play activity in um, existing or refurbishment. What sort of things would those buildings want to be measuring? Well, um, airflow and air quality is an obvious one. And it's something that I've been thinking about really for the last couple of years now, quite a lot. Since, if you think about London, there's been um, quite a lot of media coverage of air quality in London. At the moment, we don't really have um, a device, a wearable device or a phone that can tell us absolutely and easily and cheaply, importantly, what the air quality is like around us. I think that once that happens, and this could accelerate that, then, you know, <laughs> how we use cities, how we use public transport, and then to the micro of how we use buildings um, could have a, a really huge uh, shift. And the other bit to me that's interesting is use of um, personal data. If we think about why people share personal data at the moment, often it's about social media activity. So engaging with your cohort, your tribe, your community. And and for users, for, for, for the data makers, if you like, they're, they're, we're happy to, to with that arbitrage because it allows us to be able to access you know, our, our social activities. I think people historically will have been less comfortable with that for other reasons but now if the arbitrage is about your personal health then I think that again becomes worth it for many individuals so if that shift takes place and you know even some of the government policies around track and trace etc would 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 drive that then how buildings and um, uh, urban landscapes and, tra and transport systems can take advantage of that by monitoring flow of people, making sure that buildings are increasing or decreasing airflow and air quality in different parts of the spaces, um, monitoring how lift use is being um, managed and tracked through the numbers of people going through buildings and even monitoring therefore whether this, this space is being used productively. For me, that's a, that, that is potentially a massive, massive game changer in office use. Uh, Steph, I think that was really fascinating. I think we could probably do a whole session on, on smart buildings and the data around that. I want to go back to the uptake of office space. We, we clearly saw a trend of use, change of usage. We saw firms such as law firms going into open space. We think flexi hours. We obviously saw a turbo charge of working from home, stay to some extent. Can you? Can you? What is your anticipation? of um, the uptake of office space once we're at a new norm? Do you think it will go back to where it was? Do you think it will decrease? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so, as you say, when we get back to the new norm, I mean, in the short term, clearly, the take-up is going to be severely affected. And when we we look at our quarter one stats, I mean, we're, we're in the process of doing our quarter two stats at the moment. When we look at our quarter one, we were 70% down year on year in the UK, and we expect Europe to be close to 40% down by the end of the year on office take-up. So we have a very significant um, short-term hit, which is, you know, going to be going to be pretty painful for any of us involved with uh, leasing activity. Um, longer term, it 
it it does come back to the point that 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 I raised right at the beginning. I don't think we know yet what the new office format looks like. So that balance of homeworking versus um, being in the office. One thing I do believe is that we need office space. So if we think about why why would a company pay or a retailer or a, a, a third-party logistics provider pay a certain rent to be in a building. Well, they pay that because they think they're getting some level of productivity out of it, whether that's economic or, or otherwise. So if we put that on a kind of human level in offices, companies will pay the rents they do because they believe that there isn't probably a, an economic productivity to that, to that shared space. So for me, that means that we will still require office space. Um, now, exactly what the balance of homeworking versus other looks like, um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to, to see as, as time goes on. My personal view, and having done a lot of homeworking over, over my career, and also being a kind of analyst and and therefore you know relatively introverted and quite happy to sit on my own for most of the day, um, there's still a tipping point whereby when your colleagues are in the office, you need to be there. You know, I work with a lot of people. Just thinking about my personal situation, I work with a lot of people who are salespeople, marketing people, um, operational functions, etc. And they have quite different personality profiles to me. And once over half of them are back in the office, I need to be able to engage with them on a face-to-face -face basis, at least part of the time. So for me, that that is the kind of the, the thesis behind why we will still have offices. Now, for some, uh, there, there, there probably is going to be the opportunity for them to reduce that, yeah, and um, again, it probably comes back to how quickly we are able to to treat um, this particular health crisis, or in fact, any other health crisis that we might come across in the future. So, I would say that there probably, in overall terms, I would say that there probably is a, a risk to take up, and that we might see that continuing to decline, or at least continuing to decline for those very, very long leases, apart from one HQ space and creating more flexibility through the portfolio, which will allow companies to really, um, you know, enable them to kind of uh, gauge up or down where their workforce is. I think it, that, that need for flexibility has been there now for the past decade, and I don't think this is going to change that. But perhaps, um, and the research, um, I know you guys publish, or you publish uh, years, so maybe you can talk to us a little bit on, on your expectations on the years for the office space, uh, the office asset. Um, I read your report in April, the COVID report, which says uh, you expect years of estimate around 20 basis points. Maybe you can share a little bit on that, perhaps one of your inputs to help us understand how you came to that uh, figure. Yeah, sure. Um, our year forecasts have remained um, at that point, and you know the inputs are very much determined around future pipeline delivery, vacancy, and pressure on rents. And the one that that we're looking at quite a lot at the moment is that future pipeline, so the delivery of of new or refurbished space. It's very very tight across most of the prime European markets, and that's the reason why we don't have yields 
softening more than um, 20 bits at the current time um, because because there just isn't that much kit coming through and uh, companies will still want to have high quality space as I said uh, you know previously that your biggest biggest cost is your people so being able to attract and retain talent will not go away even if you are doing a level of, of home working or some other form of flexible working um, I think uh, we'll see bigger shifts in the secondary markets and those inputs will definitely be more challenged. The um, One of the kind of upsides, if you like, from a real estate investment perspective is that the risk premium will not be pressurised by, it was very unlikely to be pressurised by bond rates in the short to medium term. I think if if I was looking to invest at the current time, I would probably be asking myself whether that risk premium still genuinely reflects the um, risk attached to the covenant of the occupier of the, or occupiers of the building I'm buying, um, because you know the need to really understand the operations of those occupiers I think is going to be fundamental in the future. In the past, it was like, is it a long lease? Yes, tick. Is it government? Yes, tick. Therefore, we pay x x yield on it. Um, for, for certain government assets or what were kind of seen as you know bomb proof perhaps it will be the same but for others I think that there will need to be a bit more um, due diligence into really what that income risk is going to be and and that's been really um, held up very clearly through the the last few months as we've gone and as we come up to the next um, rent quarter date so um, I guess if I was one of your um, uh, one of your listeners at the moment, what I would say is, you know, the, the spread on forecast at the moment is huge. And that it, that is always such a strong indicator of um, volatility and uncertainty. Um, we contribute to the Investment Property Forum forecast, the IPF, and they do consensus forecasts for both the UK and Europe. And they're fascinating at the moment because there, there is very little consensus in their consensus forecast. And I would, I think that is a good place to to look. In addition to looking at, you know, research houses um, such as such as mine, um, because it will, it it really does give a view as to where that. And finally, do you think offices are an attractive asset for investors? It is about efficiency and productivity, and whichever way you choose to measure that. Um, I, I don't think there are that many businesses that can get away with having none of that, unless you do it with your whole workforce. It's when you, I think it's when you have this kind of hybrid of some workforce together and some not. That's quite challenging. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've really noticed this, that the level of communication between me and my colleagues, both within the team and across different functions at the moment, is amazing. It's really, really high levels of communication. But yeah. once a good section of those people finds themselves back being able to do that face to face from their desks or the coffee machine or whatever it is we will naturally become less good at communicating with people we can't see um, I think that's just the nature of it so for me that that's if your productivity is driven by your people being able to communicate then you're going to want to put them in an office space and you're going to want to put them in the right place and pay the necessary rent to do that. I think it does make location interesting. 
I mean, uh, and again, this is a short term thing. If we look at, you know, London, for example, at the moment, it's so reliant on public transport to move the workforce that it's particularly vulnerable to this kind of health situation. So it might be that companies will look at their business impact analysis and, you know, location will become an expanded priority of that. Whereas previously we might say, well, everyone goes into a disaster recovery centre. That, that hasn't proved a very uh, useful outcome with this particular um, situation. So, so unpacking what, how space, how, how the portfolio supports um, business impact, I think is going to be really, really important. Thank you very much, Steph, for your time today and for sharing your insights with us. Thank you for everyone who joined in and listened in today. If you have any questions for myself or Steph, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye-bye.